You're listening to Australian Spotlight. Growing up in the suburbs of Sydney, Matthew Riley went on to self-publish his first novel, Contest, while a freshman at law school, before becoming a New York Times best-selling author, selling some 7.5 million books in 20 languages. We caught up in West Hollywood for a chat. Here it is. Well, Matt, um, you grew up in the northern suburbs of Sydney, I think. That's um, right. Tell That's me about right. that growing up there. I grew up in a little suburb called Willoughby uh, in Sydney in uh, New South Wales. Uh, I, I grew up at one end of Willoughby, bought a home at the other end of Willoughby, and uh, I actually still own that home in Willoughby, even though I live here in Los Angeles. Willoughby boy, uh, yeah. gone international. <laughs> and were you always a, an avid reader, an avid writer when you were a kid growing up? I was... Uh, I was a re- I picked up reading in my mid-teens, reading books like Lord of the Flies, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, and once I found you could enjoy reading, I went into Michael Crichton and Tom Clancy, um, real blockbuster, largely American fiction, which I think informs my own writing. Mm. I did always want to be an action movie director. I was a fan of Die Hard, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Aliens, Predator. Yeah. But I realised quickly that nobody would give me a hundred and million dollars to make a movie, uh, but I could do it in books. And so if my books are known for anything, it's for their scale and the early books especially. I sort of found it with Contest and Ice Station and and Area 7 and Scarecrow that I could blow up aircraft carriers and in a book you don't have to pay for it. So I, I, I loved reading and when I found out that I enjoyed writing, I was I was on my way. And so as you came to the end of your um, time in high school, you, you made the decision to go and study law. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk me through that. Uh, it's, a, it's a good story and it actually pertains to Hollywood as well that uh, uh, my parents had arranged with a friend's parents for me to talk with a movie producer. And I said to this producer that I wanted to get into the entertainment business, telling stories either as a writer or as a director. And, and he said, have you got into university? And I said, yeah. And he said, what are you studying? I said, law. And he said, how long does a law degree take? And I said, five years. It was a combined degree, so it was five years. And he said, fine, call me back when you've got your law degree. <laughs> and it was exceptional advice because uh, knowing what I know now and, and living here, knowing what I know, the film business is exceptionally fickle. Mm. And it's very, very good to have some sort of... Uh, extra sort of level of knowledge behind you Mm. and having a law degree uh not only informed my mind but uh, i sign contracts all the time if i do a movie deal or a new book deal uh, i'm I'm probably the only writer in hollywood who reads the contracts (laughs) Uh, a couple of them have had me uh, warrant that it's my original work throughout the universe Uh, i'm pretty sure nobody ever nobody else ever read that deep in a 55 page contract but the law degree it actually gave me the confidence to go and write novels and screenplays and deal with the movie business because I knew if it all went belly up, I could go and practice law. Yeah. So uh, it, the law degree just ultimately gave me confidence and I, I owe that producer who was the guy who made Farlap, but it was tremendous advice. Wise guy. Mm. So you were at University of New South Wales. Mm-hmm. I, I understand you actually did pretty well there, um, but... Yeah. You also, in your first year, uh, wrote your first novel. Mm. How did you squeeze that in while still not only passing but doing pretty well? So to put it into context, it took me 12 months almost to the day to write the first draft of Contest without a single word of revision, just the first draft, getting it on the page. 
Nowadays, it takes me about five months to do okay. a first draft. So I'm literally twice as fast now because the more you do something, the better you get. I wrote contest on Sunday afternoons, Thursday nights. I was going to university, you know, what, four days a week. I was working in a bar three days a week. Mm. And while friends, you know, went and played soccer on a Saturday with a district club or something, I went off and spent three or four hours writing this book. And in my my holidays, I went off and wrote this book. And it's like a little addiction. I loved it. I loved going off and hiding and, uh, uh, and writing the book. Uh, so... Over the course of a year, I, I managed to sort of do that first draft of contest and call it a victory of time management, I guess. <laughs> you pulled it off. Now, I understand um, that first draft of contest was initially rejected by every major publisher in yes. Australia. Yeah. Um, do you remember what that was like, that feeling? It was crushing. Sorry, I'm taking the dog's collar off so she doesn't tinkle, tinkle in the background. <laughs> it was crushing. Uh, contest, I, I really thought this book was fast and furious and did something New. It mm. gave people a real roller coaster thrill ride. And, you know, knowing more about the world now, I probably, you know, I was submitting it without an agent, without a friend, without somebody in the, in the business. And it just probably got lost on the pile. Um, but probably the best thing that I did was that, as, as is well known, I self published Contest. But as I self published Contest, I started this next book called Ice Station. And even if Contest had never been discovered in self-published form, mm. I was going to write Ice Station and I was going to write the book that it ultimately became. Mm. So, I, um, yeah, Contest was... Uh, uh, I was disappointed when it was rejected at first, very much. And when you say you self-published, um, it, it sounds quite simple, but I think what you did was actually pretty... Um Pretty gutsy and pretty oh. innovative at the time. Tell me about that. I so that nowadays you can go to Amazon and they'll print on demand. Mm. I went to a desktop publishing company who did corporate brochures, and I told them the measurements of a paperback book. I designed the cover, I designed every page, and they literally just bound it for me. And I took it to bookstores and I'd say, "Hi, I'm Matthew Riley. Can I speak to the manager? You know, this is my book contest. It's about a guy fighting aliens in a building." Um, would you like to put on the shelves? Um, about two-thirds were very nice and said yes, and about one-third slammed the door in my face. Mm. I would read that book in the front of the bus. I would sit in the front seat of the bus going to work um, or going into town. Um, I was at a law firm at the time, and so people could see me reading this book. And, uh, and ultimately, um, one of those stores was the old Angus and Robertson store on Pitt Street. Oh, yeah. In the Pitt Street Mall, yeah. which is no longer there. Yeah, right. Uh, and the manager there was a really good guy named Ken Phyllis, and he got one of his staff to read Contest. The staff member liked it, and he put it on the shelves. And he said, I still remember, he said, I'm never going to meet John Grisham or Tom Clancy, but I'm going to be able to tell people I met you. <laughs> and um, and the, the nice sequel to that was when iStation came out in a mass format a few years later, he called me and he said, have you got any more of those self-published copies of your first book, Contest? He mm. said, we've, we've got iStation and we love it. And I said, yeah, I've got you know, like 300 of them left. And he said, I'll take all of them. Yeah, right. And so that's how I managed to sell every copy of my self-published run of Contest. And I understand they're a bit of a collector's item now. They sell for about 2000 uh, yeah, wow. bucks on uh, eBay or 
I've got about six left, and occasionally I donate them to charity days. So, and they they go for big money. Yeah. So that was just one year into your law degree at um, University of New South Wales. I understand in your final year, um, as you mentioned, that's when you wrote Ice Station, yes. which really kind of um, was your first massive international hit. It yes. went on and sold millions of copies. What do you remember about um, those days? Th- those days were different because I'm in my last year of law. So when you're in your final year of your degree, you sort of know how it works. Mm. So timing and ma- time management was okay. But I had a contract. Pan McMillan had read contest and they said, we'll sign you up to a two-book deal. And Ice Station was the first book of a publishing deal. Mm. So I had a delivery date and so it was a professional writing job Mm. while I was studying. And um, so it was a little bit of a different complex. But as I said before, I had mapped out Ice Station from start to finish. So I knew what I was going to write. I had Mm. the whole story planned out. Um, And so all I had to do was just find the time around my legal studies to to get it done. And as I said, I love it. When I'm in the writing zone, it's like a it's like an addictive drug. I, I literally zone out. You could probably put a I'd like to put a time lapse camera here in my office. <laughs> and you probably just look at me staring at the screen, just yeah. typing in a trance. Yeah. And that's pretty much what I did with iStation in that final year of my law degree. And so were you sort of running from classes on constitutional law off to book signings and interviews or...? or no, so it, the, when I was at law school, I was writing the book and yeah. fortunately I finished my degree just as I finished writing the book. Okay. So what I was actually doing, when the book came out, uh, I had been working at a law firm, I was working for a friend's mother's financial services company mm-hmm. um, and yeah, ducking into the conference room to do radio interviews on the phone uh, meeting with journalists at you know, at home. I was still living with my parents at the time. Mm. Um, and so doing an interview with this journalist from the Weekend Australian magazine. Um, God, I still remember that. Um, and, of course, the, the angle that the newspapers took were, you know, young Aussie writes blockbuster from bedroom in parents' home. <laughs> um, it's a good story. And it's a good story. And, and it's so funny now living here in L.A., that I, I literally had a had a phone meeting today about the central character from Ice Station, a, a marine named Scarecrow who was in, you know, three and a half more books. And, you know, Hollywood still likes that character. Mm. And and Paramount for a time had had the rights to Ice Station and almost made it. Uh, something tells me it's gonna reach the big screens. It might take a circuitous route in this town, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. And you've got to be patient. Yeah. You've got to be patient. And there are many reasons we can talk about the movie business. There are many reasons a movie does not get made. Mm. One of them, which is what happened with Ice Station at Paramount, is there was regime change. Mm. The 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 executive regime who had bought my book and got a, a top screenwriter to do a script, uh, they all got fired. Mm. And so my book got fired with them. That's and, that, huh? And that <laughs> that sucks, but it happens. <laughs> so you you graduate from university um, not only with a law degree but with an international best-selling novel. What was your yeah. next step? Well, the the next step was actually I, I'm working part time then at a law firm. Um, I wait for that first royalty check to come in, mm. and fortunately for me, iStation sold very very well, uh, and I was able to basically pay for my rent and pay for my food with that royalty check. Mm. And so I was able to toss in the legal job and work and write full time. Yeah. And once you're able to write full time, 
then you become exponentially more productive. Mm. And it's the single greatest advantage that I have over those who write part-time. Mm. This is what I do. I, and if I'm not sitting at my computer writing, I am sitting somewhere thinking mm. and thinking about the next story. And uh, last I looked, while I've written 15 novels, I've got about 36 different story projects from short stories to screenplays to full novels. Yeah. Um, and that's what happens when you can write full time. Yeah. And Hollywood loves that. Just sort of cranking out the projects. So um... <laughs> <laughs> we have a visitor in our uh, interview. My dog Dido is uh, just wandering Curious. around as we chat here. So I read somewhere that um, you are published in something like 20 languages. Mm -hmm. Is there one of those languages other than English that has really surprised you? Like, are you a huge hit in Turkmenistan or something? Uh, yes. No, no, there is an answer to that question. Uh, I'll give you two answers. Bulgaria. I'm big in Bulgaria. Wow. And to this day, my lovely publisher in Bulgaria is always the first one to contact my agents and say, we want the rights to the next Matthew Riley book. Yeah, right. Um, Advances in Bulgaria are not going to make you a fortune, but they're not too bad. Yeah. Um, the corollary of that is I'm still not published in France. Okay. I'm published all over Europe, uh, Asia, Australia, US, UK, uh, smatterings of South America, but I had some French villains in Ice Station, Scarecrow, and in the children's book, Hover Car Racer. Okay. And I've still never been published in France. So okay. big in Bulgaria. Never published in France. Um, well, that's a, a good professional goal to aim for. Uh, <laughs> sell a few copies in France. Yeah, you know, I'll be right. At one point, um, as you mentioned before, you started working on more film and TV projects. Mm -hmm. tell, me, mm -hmm. tell me about how you got started there. Well, there are some stories which can fill a 450-page novel. And there are other stories which are shorter. Mm. And sometimes they work as a short story. But other times they work as a screenplay. And a screenplay can be, these days, roughly about 100 pages. But it's much shorter than a book. It's 100 pages, just dialogue and, and uh, an action described, mm. uh, stage directions. So it doesn't require the sheer amount of writing that a book does. I can do a screenplay in a month mm. or a few weeks. I mm. wrote one screenplay, full-length screenplay, in a week. Um, and then, you know, I... Whether it was a feature film screenplay or a television screenplay, um, just the idea has to suit the medium. Mm. And so I wrote, I wrote an action western full-length screenplay. Uh, I did a, a Star Wars-type space saga screenplay. And then in about 07, I wrote a 30-minute television TV pilot. Mm. It was called Literary Superstars, which it was like Sex and the City in the publishing industry. And my agents here at at the time, WME, they sent it to Darren Starr, who made Sex in the City. Mm. And he loved it. And he said, I want to make it. And so in the space of a few weeks, I'd sold a spec TV pilot script to Darren Starr and Sony. And Jenna Elfman was signed on to star it. Mm. Um, and we were casting that show when the writer's strike killed it. Oh, no. So you think, you know, you think there are all manner of reasons a thing doesn't get made. The writer's strike killed literary superstars and... Um, but it was all, it was a great feather to my cap to have sold a spec screenplay because we hear a lot of people say they're writing screenplays or maybe they option a screenplay to a, a, a small production company. Mm. This was selling a, a spec script to a studio 
And I like dealing with the studios. To me, the studios are the deep end of the pool. And, yeah. And they're, they're the bank. You're dealing with the bank with the studio. And so, and in the time now, in the last years, I've done deals with Paramount, Sony, Fox. Disney bought the rights to Hover Car Racer for a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and they went through about seven screenwriters. Okay. Uh, they didn't ask me to participate in that. Sometimes I'm asked, sometimes I'm not. Yeah. Uh, and they went through seven writers and never made it. Um, but yeah, sometimes a story makes a 400-page book and other times it's better for a 100-page screenplay. And so at what point did you start thinking about moving to LA? I almost moved here in 07 mm-hmm. uh, when I sold Literary Superstars to television. Um, uh, back in back in 2011, you know, I had a bit of a, a thing happen in my life. My wife passed away and mm. I was living in Sydney and felt that I needed a change. And at some point I woke up and looked at Sydney and said, it's time to move. And I thought, where do I go? And I'd always wanted to take that shot in Hollywood. Mm. And so I hired myself an immigration lawyer and looked into the visas and uh, I'm on one of these O one alien of extraordinary ability visas. You're an extraordinary alien. That's yeah. right. I'm, a, I'm an extraordinary <laughs> Sounds alien. Sounds like a character from one of your books. It is. It's a, it's a good title for a, for a story, actually, maybe a TV show. <laughs> and so I moved here at, what, the start of 2015. You've been in Hollywood now, I guess, then for a bit over two years. Yeah. Um, and and you've sold a lot of things um, to the studios, who are probably the only ones with the money to be able to um, yeah. produce a Matthew Riley uh, screen adaptation. Yeah, that's true. Um, they're hardly sort of small budget um, indie films. Yeah. Not yet. Um, but is there something you know now that you wish you'd known when you first jumped on that plane? Oh, yeah, that's a, it's an interesting question. Um, Hollywood and de- dealing with Hollywood, you have to understand... It is in and of itself insane. It is a crazy business. Yeah. And people who deal in the world of finance look at Hollywood and just go, I can't believe they do that. Mm. What I think I know now more than I knew even then, and even having dealt with it from Australia, is you need patience. It moves slowly. Mm. Uh, it moves slowly until everybody then rushes in and you are just moving so quickly your head spinning Mm -hmm. so the uh, and something i would pass on to those listeners uh who are thinking of coming to hollywood uh is something that i did know when i came and it's been reinforced since i came which is don't have one project Mm -hmm. have three four or five projects because if you are just waiting by the phone for somebody to call you back about that one project Mm -hmm. you're going to do a lot of waiting Mm -hmm. you know in the time that Hover Car Racer, my book was with Disney. I wrote five or six other books and other scripts as well. Yeah. And when it all when it all sort of caved in and they decided they weren't going to make it, I had other stuff. Yeah. I wasn't waiting. So you've got to be patient, but I would also say have multiple projects. And yeah. that's my biggest asset. I have a lot of projects. Your stories um, cover a lot of ground. Um, you mentioned um, your children's book about hover car racing. There's an historical fiction set in Constantinople. Yes. Um, and then at the other end of the scale, there's this sort of almost uh, Indiana Jones, um, Jack West mm-hmm. series, um, yep. which is a huge um, hit as well. What's the common thread, do you think, in the stories you tell? Uh, this is actually another good Hollywood lesson too. Hollywood likes to pigeonhole you. Mm. And they get very confused if you are what we would call versatile. 
And I think this is a big difference between Australians and Americans. And it's something I'd be curious to know if you found this out from other Australians that you've spoken to. Mm. Because we have fewer people in Australia, you become versatile. And I like to think of myself as a versatile writer. I mainly write action thrillers. Mm. I like fast pace. Mm. If there's a common thread to all of my books, whether it's the action of Jack West, the history of the tournament, or the children's book of a Racer, it's the pace. They're fast. They're going to grab you from page one and hurl you along on a really fun, enjoyable roller coaster story. But the tournament, it's got some pretty big themes in it. Mm. It's got some quite explicit sex scenes in it, mm-hmm. which Hover Car Racer doesn't have. Then that TV show I sold, Literary Superstars, you know, it's like a Sex in the City sort of dramatic comedy, or mm. as the Hollywood calls it, dramedy. Yep. I love that word, dramedy. But I see that as being just someone who likes a good story. Mm. I met a writer at the Writers Guild here in LA and he said the only thing he can get paid to write is romantic comedy because he wrote a film which became Sweet Home Alabama. Oh, yeah. And he said it was the only film he wrote that made any money and so that's the only thing they'll pay him to write. Mm. And he doesn't like romantic comedies. So y- y- you can get pigeonholed. Yeah. Um, so for me, the common thread is entertainment. If it doesn't show the viewer a good time, you know, yeah. why do it? They'll move on. Yeah. So you're one of um, several Australian novelists finding success in Hollywood at the moment. I'm thinking um, also of folks like Leanne Moriarty, mm. who oh, wrote yeah. Big Little Lies, or Graham Simpson, um, who mm. wrote The Rosie Project. That's right. Um, and there are many others we could name. But what do you think it is about um, Australian stories or, and or Australian storytellers that, um, that means they're sort of cutting through at the moment? You know, this, is, this will sound really oversimplified, but one of the greatest advantages we have in Australia is we write in English. Uh, it's there are three major book markets in the world mm. the US and the UK and Australia mm. and through this accident of history we write in English which means the Rosie Project was quickly sold to US publishers as well as Australian ones mm. uh, Leanne Moriarty we're published by the same publisher in Australia Pan Macmillan mm. I, I don't think we have the same publisher here in the States but just like Guy Pearce and Margot Robbie and Chris Hemsworth can star in an Australian soap opera. American talent spotters, they love spotting talent. Mm. And it's easier to spot your talent if you're speaking the same language. So it'll sound like a terrible oversimplification, but um, I think a lot people who write in all languages are trying to write something which connects with a a reader. I think what Graham did with The Rosie Project was he just wrote a really good story. Mm. And I think what Leanne did with Big Little Lies... Big Little Lies has the most amazing structure, which in a thousand years I would never have come up with. Mm. A a murder mystery where you don't know the killer and you don't know the victim. Mm. I would never have come up with that. That's just really, really clever. Mm. And maybe it speaks to America. America is the ultimate, except in some ways, it's the ultimate meritocracy. Mm. If you write something good and they think they can make a buck out of it, they'll find you. Yeah. So you've had an incredible journey to get where you are here in West Hollywood, um, but I suspect there's more yet to come. What's mm. next? I've just I've just finished a new Jack West book. Mm-hmm. So I started with Seven Ancient Wonders, then did Six, Five, Four. So I've just finished the first draft of the three. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. I'm very pleased. I, uh, um, literally, that happened in the last 24 hours. So A, I'm going to go on a little holiday yeah. go and play some golf. Um, but B... Uh, 
it now is, the plan is to actually pursue some of the original screenplays mm. that I've done. That this book will now go through the editing process for the next six to nine months, mm. and it won't come out till Christmas of 2018. Mm. So till then, uh, I wrote a spec screenplay uh, before I wrote this book. I wouldn't mind. Uh, maybe I'll bump into Margot Robbie at one of the Australian consulate events. Give you the elevator pitch and say, "Hey, you know." I think this because it's got a great female lead in it. Mm. So I think in that time, I, I'd like to sort of get a film made, yeah. whether it's based on one of the books or one of the specs. Um, I'd like to get into that, and this is the place to be. Yeah. The, the the most fun thing for me living in Los Angeles is this is where storytellers gather. Mm. Um, I'm sure there are other industry towns for other industries, but. I I can hang out with with a great Australian screenwriter Stu Beatty. Yeah. Who wrote Pirates of the Caribbean and Collateral. Yeah. And you put the two of us together and you give us a microphone when we go and see the latest alien movie. You know, we'll talk about the story and what they did here and what way they did there and why they tried this and mm. and we can both look at a movie and go, "Yep, that's the spot where the third writer came in and rewrote the ending." Yep. Um I love being here around people who tell stories and i feel like i'm amongst people who are like me so the next step see that next book published and while it's in the process make a movie maybe even fulfill that childhood dream of directing an action movie that's the plan that's the plan with this one well matt um you've been very generous with your time thanks for the chat mate thank you please do leave us a review subscribe and follow the australian consulate general los angeles on facebook and twitter Thanks for listening.